From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Governor DeWine signs a bill for knife preemption, and he signs another bill to enable school staff to be armed. Both bills go into effect on September 11, 2022. But that's not all that's changed for gun laws in this administration. In fact, you might be surprised at how many gun bills have been signed over the past three years. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Rob Sexton, BFA's Legislative Affairs Director. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dean. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Hey, Rob, did you lose electricity recently? I, w- I was reading that a lot of people, at least in the Columbus area, they had their electricity turned off for about 24 hours. I, I didn't know if that affected you out where you live or not. You know, we were fortunate. It did not happen to us, but I had several friends contact me to ask because their par- their power was off. I heard there were almost a quarter million AEP customers who lost power on and off throughout that two or three day period. That's ridiculous. Boy, that'd suck. Uh, as, as hot as it's been, you know, high 90s, uh, people's air conditioning isn't working. I'm thinking, I was joking with my wife. I was saying, you know, when that electricity comes back on, I'm wondering if the water department is going to have like a big surge because everyone's going to have to take a shower. Yeah, big time. I tell you. So AEP said that they were intentionally turning it off in sort of a rolling brownout sort of move because the system was stressed. But uh, I don't know, Dean, these last few months or maybe up to a year it just feels like we're sort of third worldish right we've got empty shelves with various products now we can't keep our electricity on it's a crazy time well i've traveled third world and let me tell you we're nowhere near it i, I people <laughs> people who moan and complain about you know that they, they don't have every kind of ice cream that i like or you know whatever it, whatever it is that they're complaining about you know i see that at the store too you know i was looking for some you know, jello pudding, and I wanted the one with chocolate and vanilla mixed together, and they only had the one with chocolate, and I came home, and I was like, oh, they only had the chocolate. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm bitching and moaning about that. But, you know, I've been in third-world countries, and I'll tell you, it's bad. It's really bad. And when I got back, it made me appreciate what was here, you know, electricity or not, you know, over a few hours. That's, that's nothing. So, um but I still, I still complain about the weather. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a hot weather guy. I'm like, I'm that one guy in Ohio who does not follow football and who does not like the hot weather. So I'm, I'm the oddball. Well, I like the football, but I really don't like the hot weather at all. So, you know, when it hits 95 degrees, that's not the time you want your air conditioning to go out. So I would agree. I feel properly chastised that we are not in fact living in third world conditions. But let's just say, we're you know we've gotten kind of used to being able to just flip the switch. So, but in man, American no. terms, it's been rough. Yeah, I know, I know, I know what you mean. 
you know, I, I went to the movies the other day and there were these giant potholes like right in front of the theater. And I'm thinking, oh, why can't they fix these potholes? You know, yeah. the you know, miles of road was fine, but it was like this one little section, this little 20 foot section that had some potholes. And I'm complaining about that. And it's like, wow, we're really spoiled, aren't we? Yes. Yes. So, Rob, I um, wanted to do a podcast and just kind of follow up on where we've ended up with legislation recently because as we're recording this just this week on Monday the governor signed a couple of bills HB 99 was the big one for what I'm calling armed teachers but it's really about having the ability to arm staff in in schools you know staff of any kind and then uh, Senate bill 156 on knife preemption so you know I tell you what let's do the easy one first the 156. So this was sponsored by Senator Rogner, and this deals with preemption for knives. And the, I think the easiest way to understand this without going into the whole bill is, you know, if people understand how gun preemption works, in other words, you can only set gun laws at the state level, cities cannot pass their own gun laws. So now that applies to knives as well. And anyone who read the bill well, you know how simple it was. They basically took the word knife and they inserted it here and there. So there's now preemption for knives in Ohio, which I think is really, you know, pretty good. And the new law actually makes it very clear that arms are not just firearms. That's something that people forget. We talk a lot about guns, but arms, as in keeping bare arms, that's all kinds of arms, right? So uh, the bill specifies that. And so keep and bear arms refers to guns and to knives, and that's now specified in Ohio law, Rob. And it's important to remember that that idea, that phrase, keep and bear arms, occurs, of course, in the United States Constitution, but also in the Ohio Constitution. So it never, it has never specified firearms. And so this has always been an area that needed tightening up, I suppose, and it's good to see him spell it out in plain English. And this is a pretty good follow-up bill, this SB 156, again, signed by the governor just this week. So it's going to go into effect. Now, I didn't count it out, but uh, apparently the Secretary of State counted it out. They say it's going to go into effect September 11. I'll take their word on that. Um, I, I did not count it out on the calendar myself. But this, this is a pretty good follow-up to Senate Bill 140 that the governor signed early in 2021 last year, which clarified that knives are not a, a deadly weapon unless you use them that way. And it also made it legal to own and manufacture and sell switchblades. So, uh, I mean, people wonder, like, well, what what's the big deal about that? Well, because a lot of people who are interested in self-defense, they carry knives as well as firearms. And I've occasionally carried a knife. And, you know, there's always been kind of a trick to it because the law has been unclear. And so you get these little knives, these little folding knives that have a clip on it. And you, you know, put it in your pocket, but you make sure the clip's on the outside. Therefore, it's open carry, right? And so you're not potentially breaking the law by having a concealed knife. Well, you don't have to play those games anymore you know, as of early last year with SB 140, you can just 
drop a knife in your pocket, a pocket knife or self-defense knife or whatever, and and you're you're good to go. That that is legal. It's not considered a weapon unless you actually use it as a weapon. So this recent bill, I think, was just a good follow-up. You know, make it legal to carry concealed knives, and now preemption covers knives as well. So it's like we just cleared up all of that with a couple bells. Well, I think it's long, as I said, long overdue, makes things simpler, kind of removes the gotcha part of the law when it comes to carrying a knife. And and that's how the law should be. It shouldn't be an easy trap for a, a well-meaning law-abiding person to fall into. And that's all it was, because I know police and a lot of police, you know, they, they want their weapon, but they want backup as well. And a knife is a backup and they'll do the same thing. A friend of mine, uh, where I live, police officer, and I always see that little clip on his pocket. And I'll ask him about it. Like, what are you, what are you carrying there? Oh, that's, uh, that's just a, uh, a utility knife. You know, and so I, I know that, okay, he's talked to a lawyer because that's what they used to say is, okay, you get one of these knives, make sure you open some boxes with it, make sure you cut some duct tape so you have some debris on the blade so that right. then you can make the argument, I don't know, that's just a utility knife. I just, I use those, you know, if I, if I have to cut my seatbelt off, if I have to open a package from UPS or whatever, see there, there's tape on that blade, that that proves it. So, you know, we, we all played games and we just don't have to do that anymore. And I think that's a good thing. The law should not be a bunch of gotcha stuff. I totally agree. It's it's a good bill all the way around. So the next bill, this one's the big one, HB 99. And what this does basically is return authority over school security programs to local school boards where it belongs and where it has been for decades. This was a bill sponsored by state rep thomas hall and you know the only reason we needed this bill at all was because uh, there was a case uh you know gun control folks came in from out of state they wanted to shut down these school programs where you had armed teachers and staff so there was a lawsuit it made its way all the way up to the supreme court we got a bad ruling that, you know, in part, one of those four votes was, uh, you know, our, our favorite person on the Ohio Supreme Court, Maureen O'Connor, who's just been involved in all kinds of really bad decisions. And the effect of this lawsuit and the eventual decision was just to shut down these school security programs all over the state. So the legislature had to step in, and the result was HB 99, Rob, the bill did not turn out exactly the way we would have preferred. We would have liked to have seen it to be a little simpler and cleaner, but it got passed. So these schools that have these programs are going to be able to start rebuilding those. It goes into effect in 90 days. So, uh, uh, I, you know, that's that's a good thing. Again, it wasn't as, as exactly the way we wanted it, but uh, it was pretty close and actually gives schools some other options for security. Well, that's the key. You know, it, it puts the schools largely in the driver's seat, right? We would have liked to have seen things go back to the way they were before Maureen O'Connor and her three other co, you know, cohorts screwed this thing up. But the legislature, they wanted to have a stronger hand in this thing. So now there will be uh, state curriculum, like 20 hours of state training 
that a person would have to go through if they were going to go armed in schools. The bill does provide for a private option. So like Faster Saves Lives is still an option as long as the state certifies that the private option meets the various criteria that they put together in this state-run curriculum. So, you know, as government does, they they uh, complicated things a little bit. But the bottom line is this. If a school board wants to have armed personnel, then they're going to be able to do it. The training hours are very similar to the way it was before the court messed it up. So I think on the back end, it's going to come out okay. So now it's just a matter of getting people retrained. It's going to take some time, but it, you know, it had to happen. And then I, and it's a good thing that it did. And the ruling was really absurd. You know, this uh, designating 700 plus hours of training. And I've seen a lot of stories about this where the write-up is, well, you know, this, this is such a terrible bill and the governor's done such a bad thing because, wow, they've gone from, you know, 728 hours of training down to just, you know, 20 or 24 hours of training. That's just ridiculous. That's insane. Well, baloney, that's not what happened. For decades, there were there were no requirements at all of any kind. And it was only this court case that recently interpreted the law differently than it's always been interpreted. And well, that's right. And, 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 you know, several headlines, you know, bill lowers training. The bill lowers training. Yeah. And that's just lazy reporting. That's what that is, you know. And I, I know some of our listeners will say well, it's biased reporting, and maybe there's some bias in there too. But in general, it just struck me as lazy because, you know, the court ruling said you had to have 700 hours. Therefore, this is 20. I get it. But that ignores the history of what had happened. The bottom line is the court's ruling didn't make it to where teachers had to have 700 hours. The court's ruling basically killed the program because no teacher would ever have the time for that kind of training. Yeah. And I, you know, I used to be a teacher. I was a teacher very briefly and my sister's a teacher. My mother was a teacher. So we have, you know, a lot of academics in the family. And I can tell you that I, I estimated, you know, based on how much training that a, an ordinary teacher would do in a year, that it would take, you know, 15, 20 years to complete that amount of training. And the activists, you know, these were Bloomberg-funded activists, every town lawyers that, that came into Ohio to do this, specifically to shut down this program. This was not about safety. This was about politics. Because I think they viewed this program as like a Joe Camel thing, where, geez, if we have guns in schools and people come to think of that as a, as a good thing, that's really bad for our cause. So let's shut this down. That's what this was really about. This was about politics. Right. Right. And you had all these schools, you know, a lot of rural schools where they just don't have the police presence that you do maybe in downtown Columbus or in Cincinnati, Cleveland, wherever. And they really needed to have firearms in the schools that was their choice and their school boards are elected just like every other school board is elected that's what they wanted but this uh, court case basically said nope can't do that unless they have police training and i looked up the curriculum and i talked to some police and i said you know when you graduated from police school like opata or columbus has its own police training school, how much training did you have 
in stopping armed killers. And they said, well, you know, we had a little police, had a little like firearms training, but really there was nothing. There was nothing about stopping killers in schools. So, you know, people were going through the Faster Safe Lives program that's run by our foundation. They actually graduated from that class with more training and having to satisfy a higher standard than police do when they graduate from the police academy. So the reporting on this has been, while lazy, I think is generous, but it's been very one-sided, very political, and it's just one of those situations where, you know, you just don't know what you don't know, and a lot of people are commenting on this without knowing what they're talking about. All right, and, you know, I think we've tried to be careful with the way we've dealt with this issue because, you know, we've got a lot of respect for law enforcement in general. But this is not just an issue about police response times. You know that every second counts when there's a sit- an active killer inside a school. And, you know, we've now seen in two major incidents that police don't always engage quickly. And so, you know, having kids, you know, be defended by someone who's armed just makes a lot of sense to bring it into a situation much quicker. So if a school district doesn't want to do it, you know, we've heard lots of outcry. Teachers don't want to do this. Okay. Well, no one says they have to, but for the school district that understands this properly, I think it's a good option. And that's why this bill was a good idea. And I, I'm, I'm very glad that we did not experience the kind of tragedy they had down in Texas while this program was put on hiatus. It's very clear that that, you know, what happened down in Texas is what spurred the legislature to act fully on it. But, you know, uh, I'm glad they did. I remember when we first launched Faster Saves Lives, and it was just an idea. We were down, I think we were at OSU, and there was a televised debate that I think was on an ABC affiliate. And it was a gun control debate. And right in the middle of that, one of our folks who was up on stage participating in that debate just kind of paused for a moment and said, you know what, We've every time one of these things happens, one of these uh, you know mass murders, people will come out and say, you know, we need to have a national conversation about this. We really need to get together and talk and, and so on. And uh, uh, it was Ken Hansen, our uh, attorney, who has since unfortunately passed away. He was up on stage, live on TV, and he said, you know what, we're done having a conversation. We're not going to talk about it anymore. That doesn't do any good. What we're going to do is we're going to invite 24 teachers to take a training program, and we're going to see if we can get armed teachers in schools. And I remember the reaction in the room at that time. There was there was one gun control advocate on, on stage, and she was an, an, a nice lady, and, and her reaction was, oh, my. And you could just tell their faces were just like, you know, the, you would think the apocalypse was coming. And then, you know, this got a lot of press. I mean, it was national news. And people were telling us that's never going to work. You're never going to get 24 people to sign up for a class like that. That's insane. Teachers don't want to do it. They can't do it. They don't have the ability. And all the same stuff they're they're saying now. Well, we opened that up. And, uh, you know, they were right. We didn't get 24 people to sign up. We got 2,000 people who applied for those 24 positions. 2,000. So we were like, you know, don't tell us that there aren't people out there who want to sign up for this kind of training. 
there definitely are. Uh, you know, maybe your school district doesn't want to do it, but others do. So don't tell other school districts what they should do. And that, you know, that, that training has been successful. It's been going on for 10 years. No one ever raised a huge fuss about it until right now. And again, people don't know what they're talking about. It's, you know, this bill has everything in it you would want from whatever side you come at it from. It allows schools to make the choice, but within those schools, it allows the personnel to make the choice. So even if your school adopts a program like this, that does not mean, I've actually seen people say teachers are going to be forced to carry guns. It does not mean that they have to carry a firearm. So I think this bill really is the best of both worlds. Flexibility, training, I don't know what else you would want. So those are two important bills, um, one on knives, knife preemption, one on armed staff in schools and just and other security. The bill has, you know, some more stuff in it than that. And then uh, that was that's, you know, we've we've passed two of our big priorities, Rob. So we got constitutional carry passed. We got HB 99 passed. We had a list of three things that were our, our absolute top priorities. There's one more thing on that list, and that was the emergency power bill, actually two bills. Uh, why don't you talk about that and, and where we are, because we're still pushing it, but state house is kind of empty right now, right? Right. You know, they've gone on recess. Uh, this is an election year, and so the summer months is typically when, you know, the House and Senate go on hiatus for a couple months, go back home, do some campaigning. Uh, so, you know, that's what's going on right now down at the state house, but one of our top priority bills, the uh, bill that would ban government from taking away your gun rights under the guise of an emergency, local government or state government, that legislation has passed both chambers, but it's kind of funny, right? So a Senate bill passed the Senate house bill passed the house but neither chamber has reconciled between the two. So the idea of providing this level of protection for your gun rights during the time of an emergency, it's about halfway through the process. So what's left to do? Well, we've got to get one chamber to take up the other chamber's bill. They will not be back until November. So our job between now and then is to lay the groundwork for it and then see if we can make something happen in November, which means obviously more than likely lame duck session. But, you know, we passed two of our major bills. If we were able to get this done during lame duck session, this would be a really productive session for Second Amendment advocates. And we're not going to have a lot of time. You know, November, we're going to have elections early in the month. And then this session ends December 31st. We have two-year sessions here in Ohio. So when the session ends, that's it. And every bill that's not passed basically just dies. And we start over on January 1st. So right. if this bill doesn't pass, you know, it's going to have to be reintroduced and we're going to have to try it again next session. And given that it's passed both the House and the Senate, you know, different bills, but essentially the same bill, uh, I, I don't see that there's any really uh, big objection to it. So it's just a matter, can we get their attention and get this pushed through? That's right. You know, there's no substantive objection to it. Uh, the Senate bill, the House bill, they both passed by large margins. There seems to be a lot of support for seeing the bill moved. It's just about getting it done. 
you know, I think for us, we really want to press hard because this bill was born after watching some other governors abuse gun owners across the country. Namely, most notably, right to the north, where other bad things come from, right? Michigan. Uh, <laughs> well, now, Rob, you know, I don't, I don't follow football, so, but, but I, I, I do know about that. I, I learned earlier yeah. on when I moved to Ohio, you can wear the wrong collar on the wrong day. Yeah, you can. Michigan equals bad. We know this, right? And their governor, she certainly put a stamp on that, right? So closing down gun stores uh, during COVID. She even closed down boating during COVID. You couldn't take your boat out, right? Uh, now, there were other states that did the same thing, but they were the, you know, what we would call the usual suspects, right? So the governors of California and the god-awful Seattle area, you know, that, that they, they had a lot of restrictions and Portland and that over in Oregon. But to see it happen in Michigan, where there's more than a million sportsmen, for example, was pretty shocking. So the bill that we've put together, and, uh, you know, we, we collaborated on this with the NRA and with the National Shooting Sports Foundation. We believe we've got the strongest bill that's ever been written to protect the rights of gun owners during an emergency. This bill would make it to where they can't, they can't restrict possession or carrying or training uh, or range time or hunting or transactions or purchases. Really, it just covers everything you can think of with regard to the use of a firearm. They can't use an emergency as an excuse to take your gun rights away. And so this is an important bill. And the reason why I think it needs to be done now is, believe it or not, people's lives are moving on. You know, people are sick of talking about COVID. They're sick of talking about the emergency. They, you know, obviously they want to figure out how to you know, deal with inflation right now. So we need to have this bill passed while the memory of government overreach is still fresh in the minds of, uh, you know, our legislators as well as our own people. And I've said before that this is one of those bills that, you know, it doesn't gin people up the way that a constitutional carry does or that, you know, some of these other policy changes might, but it's one of those changes to the law that you don't really need it until you need it. And then when you need it, you really need it because it's going to be too late. You know, if we have some other kind of emergency and we have, you know, a Katrina type situation, it could be the weather. Uh, you know, it could be a terrorist attack. It could be another virus. It could be anything. And then suddenly right. the government legally can step in and do all kinds of bad things. And, and we're trying to preempt that so that the Second Amendment can function at a time when it most needs to function. So it's the court's job to sort out when the authority of government and the rights of people seem to be in conflict, right? So, you know, uh, they just had a series of tornadoes over in Dayton. You know, it's not far-fetched to see Mayor Nan Whaley, who is a gun control fanatic, put the city of Dayton under an emergency order in the aftermath of such an occurrence. And would she attempt to close down gun stores in the Dayton area during that time? Well, if she did, it would likely fall to a court to interpret whether or not she had the authority to do that. And Dean, you just highlighted how many times our judges are not very dependable when it comes to being reasonable on gun laws, especially our chief justice. Goodbye very soon, Maureen O'Connor. So why not spell it out, right? So the idea behind the emergency powers bill is let's spell it out in plain English so that there is no 
high hurdle to interpret the authority of government. They, if this bill passes, they would not have the authority to prevent your gun rights in the aftermath of some sort of disaster. And then, uh, you know, Rob, I was just thinking about this, you know, that we've gotten two of our priorities passed and we've had some other things. I just started making a list of the bills that Governor DeWine has signed and I kind of surprised myself because, I mean, look, let's let's be honest, you know, we weren't really happy with the whole red flag thing that came out, you know, when we were dealing with strong Ohio and, and that got a lot of attention but you know, let's let's give credit where credit is due. Uh, he signed a lot of bills, and I, I made a list here: HB eighty six, which fixed the whole shockwave problem that that we had uh, a while back, March eleven. That was two thousand nineteen. He signed that bill, and that bill also fixed an error in another bill that had had passed in twenty twenty. Rob, you know, we brought you on board. And one of the first things that we were dealing with is uh, the concealed handgun licensing problem because, you know, sheriff's offices were shutting down. People couldn't get a license, couldn't renew their license. We actually passed a couple of bills. One of them was HP 614. There was another one just on licensing that extended the deadlines so that people could still carry legally. Uh, so I'm counting that as two separate bills. Then there was SB 175 which was a pretty big bill in 2021, the repeal of the duty to retreat or stand your ground, depending on how you want to refer to that. We've already talked about SB 140 to repeal the knife ban. Then there was uh, permitless carry that was just signed recently, 215. That was signed in in this year and, and is now in effect. And then now, of course, the armed teacher bill, HB 99, and SB 185 for knife preemption. And, and Rob, let's not forget, I think it was last year, HB 110, which was an appropriations bill, a budget bill. And if I've got my figures correct, uh, this enabled the Division of Wildlife to have like $87 million for purchasing public land, uh, fixing up ranges, which has already resulted in two state-of-the-art ranges at Delaware close to where I live, Spring Valley, and then there are other ranges that are going to be fixed up. Uh, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Because that was really huge. And I'm not sure that, you know, a lot of the gun guys are really following that, but it was huge in the sportsman's world. Right. So, you know, you, you really talked about two different things there. The first, public land. Sportsmen have long enjoyed access to 60,000 acres of property that was owned by American Electric Power. It was private land, but AEP allowed the state of Ohio to manage it to allow hunting and fishing and trapping to go on there. And for most Ohioans, you know, that's just public land. Well, about five years ago, they announced they were going to sell that land. Our previous governor, if we're being blunt, just kind of dithered about, didn't do anything about it. And so toward the end of his administration, AEP announced that they're going to start selling to private uh, bidders. And so the sportsmen, uh, you know, led by a coalition by the Sportsmen's Alliance, a partner of ours, assembled a coalition that BFA played a role in, in which we asked candidate DeWine to make a commitment that he would not allow that to happen, that he would find the money to retain that AP ground. And he promised. He promised several times. He told us uh, verbally that day, and then he also put it in writing 
the money that you referred to, Dean, is is you know the the funds that they found to go ahead and follow through with the purchase. So Ohio, as we speak, I think the final chunks of that land are being purchased, uh, and so he kept his promise. And then on the shooting ranges, you know, we we filled uh, him in when he was a candidate about the what do you want to call it the the decay of many of our public shooting ranges across Ohio. He made a commitment that he was going to do something about that too. And if anybody has not visited Delaware or Spring Valley, they're really nice facilities. And uh, I think between all the bills that you mentioned, and then these two things, you know, really nice shooting ranges and retention of 60,000 acres of hunting land. He's got a pretty big track record to talk about with sportsmen and gun owners. I, I think you can say that's true. My count, if I'm counting all this correctly, is that uh, DeWine has signed six gun bills, two knife bills, and then this one big sportsman bill. So, I mean, that's I, – I, I have to be honest. If I were running for governor, I'd, I'd want that on my resume. Well, I would too. And then let's put – Let's really put the finer point on that, right? As you said, you know, there's been some disagreements over some things like Strong Ohio. But holy cow, his opponent would take your guns away. And she's been open about it. His opponent would ban modern sporting rifles, AR-15s and high-capacity magazines. And let's face it, they're flirting around talking about semi-automatics now, too. I mean, Nan Whaley is a gun control fanatic. And so, you know, we've got Mike DeWine uh, as governor. We've had some disagreements with him, but he's got a tremendous record of signing major gun legislation. Well, there, so, yeah, I mean, there, there are Democrats out there. I've been, I've been seeing, you know, there's a lot of talk in the news about this bipartisan thing that Democrats and Republicans are working on at the federal level. And, you know, we might do another podcast about that. But I'm seeing a lot of Democrats coming out and saying just some crazy stuff. I read a story just yesterday where there's a a Democrat who wants to introduce a bill so that every AR-15 would have a 1,000% tax on it. So you go out and buy like a nice $1,500 AR and you would have to pay tax of $15,000. I mean that that's that's insane but this is the kind of stuff that they're talking about you know AR bans or you know I I I kind of kind of have to laugh when they're talking about semi-automatic bans do they really mean semi-automatic bans so they're going so you can't have anything except a revolver or a pump action shotgun or a single shot rifle or maybe a musket I mean what what are they talking about Yeah well I think there's two kinds of people unfortunately, in the Democratic Party when they talk about that. There's those who just don't know what they're talking about. We've all run into bunches of those. But unfortunately, there's some others that do know what they're talking about. They do know. You know, I I mentioned to some folks down at the Statehouse on the other side, they said something about semi-automatics and wanted to ban all semi-automatics. I said, you do realize the most popular handgun in the United States is semi-automatic. Well, you know, something's got to be done, Rob. And there you have it, right? So Nan Whaley would be a disaster for gun rights in the state. So the the contrast between her and Mike DeWine just couldn't be bigger if if they both tried. So no matter what you say, you know, stand your ground, top priority. 
constitutional carry top priority. And thanks to the Supreme Court, they had to fix the armed teachers program top priority. So there's been some pretty big things done under DeWine, and I think it's only fair to mention them. Well, and I'll say too, you know, uh, you have different kinds of politicians. You have the ones that are virtue signaling and that, you know, Nan Whaley falls right into that. She'll just say anything, and I think she would support anything merely for political purposes. Then they're the more low drama kind of politicians. I think that I've always viewed, again, you know, depending on what your point of view is, you know, th think what you like, but DeWine has never been a really dramatic guy, right? I mean, he doesn't doesn't virtue signal. Uh, I, I think that, you know, just based on his record of the bills he's signed, he's done us a lot of good. I mean, you know, we just have to be honest with, with all of these bills. Again, six gun bills, two knife bills, and a big sportsman bill. I, I, I think that's, that's pretty impressive. We're going to have some information coming out on Nan Whaley, and, you know, a lot of it's pretty shocking. We should probably do a whole podcast just on that. But a lot of things that she said, her criticism of a lot of these bills that have passed, if she ever got elected, I mean, talk about an apocalypse. We would have an apocalypse for rights here in the state of Ohio. So, you know, we, we absolutely can't have her elected under any circumstances. We would be in the bunker if she were elected, having to defend our rights at every turn. You know, some of the awful ideas you hear come out of the gun control crowd. You know, you mentioned the thousand percent tax. That's ridiculous. You know, there's a lot of other proposals across the country that aren't happening here in Ohio that I see. For example, uh, tax on each round of ammunition. A requirement that there must be um, a, a microscopic serial number on each round of ammunition. Which what, what does that all equate to? That all equates to driving the cost of ammo through the roof, right? Uh, there are so many bad ideas out there that it, it's important to take stock of where we stand, and, and uh, she would be a disaster. I think that's clear. Well, Rob, so uh, I think we've uh, accomplished a lot. I wish that uh, all the legislators were still in session, but we're going to have to wait for them to come back. And we've got one more big bill to pass. There are a lot of other smaller bills we could pass, too, but we want to get this big emergency bill passed. So I guess we're going to have to keep working on that and hope that in the two months that we have, when they come back, that we're going to be able to get that through. And, of course, elections in November, we're going to be working on that as well. We've issued endorsements, you know, for that first round of primaries. And then we have this other round of primaries coming up in August and then the election in November. So, you know, that's kind of all confusing, but we'll be coming out with grades and endorsements pretty soon for this second round of primaries in Ohio's insane election, 2022. You know, Dean, I think you mentioned the election. It is so important for people to get out and vote. I think, uh, you, you know, like, for example, we've got a United States Senate race here in Ohio that very well could be the difference between which party controls the United States Senate. You know, a lot of people can't see Ohio going blue. You know, they think, oh, we're a red state. But Sherrod Brown has been Ohio senator for a long time now, and he's Democrat. So I think, you know, uh, if Tim Ryan wins, you know, I think there's there's been some problems with his record on guns as a congressman. But even more important than that, he's a vote for Chuck Schumer as majority leader. And so that's something people have to keep in mind and maybe something we should talk about in a future podcast. 
Yeah, don't be fooled by those election maps when you look at Ohio and it looks all red. Uh, remember, you know, a lot of those counties are rural with a low population, and you have the really high-density areas like Cleveland, Columbus, Dayton, Cincinnati. There are a lot of people who live there, and, you know, in the end, it's not what that map looks like. It's how many votes there are. So, you know, we're like one of those states that have a lot of open space, a lot of rural areas, but you've got cities, too. And, uh, you know, that makes it easier for the Democrats to campaign. They don't have to go all over the state like the Republicans do. They can just go to a few cities and uh, they can round up a lot of votes. Well, and they're going to campaign on guns. They've made that clear. And so, uh, you know, if they want to pick the fight, our people need to show up for the fight and we need to get out and vote, you know, so that Second Amendment advocates come out on Election Day. I think we'll be fine. Rob, thanks for dropping by and talking about all this. We'll have you back again soon. So enjoy the heat out there, Rob. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Dean. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.